Hello, I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this is the Constructor Podcast, episode number 34. Hello, and welcome to the Constructor Podcast, the best way to build it. This podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about their construction projects. We talk about fostering trusting relationships within your project teams and help you understand how to lower risk, be under budget, and on schedule in your construction projects. Most importantly, exceed your end user's desires. So this episode features Ken Gronbach, who is a demographer at KGC Direct. He's also the author of Upside, Profiting from the Profound Demographic Shifts Ahead, which just released this past April. Ken is often a keynote speaker for organizations and companies, and he contributes in a way for them to be prepared before undergoing major changes. He takes them into the future using demographics and predicts a positive and accurate approach to their business decisions. Now, the reason we brought Ken on to the podcast is because I've been looking for interviewees that can provide more certainty around the decisions companies are making for their businesses, especially around investing in different aspects of their business. So I wanted trends and metrics to support really good decision making. So for those of you who listened to the past couple of interviews, um, for instance, uh, episode number 32 with Anir Basu, economist, we have the same purpose and approach. You will see that although economists and demographers usually disagree, the two of them actually aligned in some areas. And I'll point out some, some of these during the interview. So let's get into the interview. Good morning, Ken. Welcome to the Constructor Podcast. Good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. Um, yeah. So first things first, just want to know a little bit about you. Who is Ken Gronbeck? And uh, we just want to know, like, how did you how did you even get into this field? I lost a major client. We had a my wife and I had a uh, an, a advertising marketing company in Connecticut that we grew to about forty million dollars. And one of our signature clients was American Honda Motorcycle. We had 140 dealers from the tip of Maine to Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C. And we would, uh, every year, Honda would send us a bunch of money. We'd, we'd run millions of dollars worth of ads. <clears throat> They'd send us thousands of motorcycles, and uh, we'd sell them at asking price until 1986. The bikes came in, ran the ads, and I got a call from American Honda, and they said, Ken, did you run the ads? And I said, yeah. And I said, I said, that's not a good question. And they said, yeah, we know. But it's like somebody turned a faucet off. There's no traffic in the dealerships. And they said, but Kawasaki, Suzuki, and Yamaha all have identical problems. So it's not just us. What do you think is going on? And they said, this crazy old-fashioned motorcycle called Harley Davidson that can't get out of its own way and leaks oil is selling like crazy. <clears throat> and uh, I said, I, I really don't know. Between 1986 and 1992... Uh, we tried everything. We tried every. We came up with all kinds of new products. We reduced the price on our signature bikes, and business for the Japanese brands fell eighty wow. percent. And they all. We just. We we just got sick of closing dealers. <clears throat> but that's all we did. Uh, 
we shook hands with American Honda. Uh, the client went away. We lost a lot of money. Never knew why until 1996. When I'm in my office, uh, it was an election year. It was Clinton versus Dole. And uh, it, October, the election process was heating up. And there was a full-page editorial in the, in the major paper here in Connecticut that said that uh, Generation X that was born 1965 to 1984, as they were entering the age that they should be getting involved in the political process, were not doing so anywhere near the volume of the baby boomers. And uh, they were not voting. They were not giving money. They were not giving time. They were not running for office. And, and it was crazy. It was like, it's like, what happened to this whole generation, 20-year generation? And... They were a bunch of lazy, slacker, couch potatoes, and what was America going to come to if, if uh, Generation X was our future? So, I, I mean, I had 40 people working for me. 30 of them were Gen Xers. I didn't have any lazy mm. people, so it didn't make any sense to me. So I called in our research department and had them uh, dive into Generation X through all the, the secondary research that's already been done through the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the census data, CIA fact book. Yeah. You, you know, you name it. And he came back and said, uh, uh, Generation X will never perform at the level of the boomers. And I said, they're lazy. And he says, no, there's fewer of them. And I said, what do you mean? He said, they weren't born. He said, the the, the, the fertility in the United States between 65 and 84 <clears throat> dropped like a stone. It went way below replacement level. In fact, the bottom of the, of the inverted bell-shaped curve is 1974. And he said that there were only 3 million babies born in 1974. And at the height of the boomers in 1957, there were 4,300,000. He says, so do the math. He said, what you have is, is a hole in our population and we're a market economy. So there's, there's, <clears throat> we're missing millions of people. And I said, how many? And he said, nine. I said, we're missing 9 million people in a 20-year span? And he said, yep. And I said, what's the difference between the boomers and Generation X? And he said, 11% critical mass. And I said, so we determined that that was a hole. Uh, I'm, I'm hope I'm not over answering yeah, the question, ahead. but just let me finish this. Uh, yeah, the the. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, so we, there's, there's like a hole in our population, in our market economy population. I said, we just answered what happened to the motorcycles. So we went back and looked, and sure enough, we were selling motorcycles to men 16 to 24. That was it. 25, they sold the bike, got married. And you didn't take the death wish into the marriage. So, so yeah, so they, we determined that once the baby boomers exited, the very narrow demo that we sold motorcycles to, uh, it was over. The, the generation right behind them was, did, didn't have uh, enough bulk, didn't have enough mass to satisfy the footprint. So the net was wherever Gen X goes, it causes trouble. So we went back and tracked it. We went back and, and determined that Generation X, born 65 to 84, closed maternity wards. They shut down, they actually, hospitals consolidated their maternity wards. They, they shut down the toy industry. They shut down 30% of the public schools. They shut down bicycles. They shut down motorcycles. They shut down automobiles for Detroit. And they essentially caused the housing crisis in 2008 because the boomers were trying to sell their houses to a generation that couldn't buy them. And the, the in, so it goes on and on and on. Well, that I, I said this this is enormous enormous power uh, for to, in marketing, and no one understands this, and no one is talking about it. And I got to mm -hmm. tell you, I've written four books now, 
And and uh, I I speak to very very high level people, presidents of corporations, um, presidents of corporations that are about to build billion dollar plants in China, and and I I will tell them about the effects of um, the one child only policy in China and how that's going to affect their economy going forward, and they have no clue, none. So that's why I'm excited about this. <laughs> So, so that gives us gives us a really good sense of where you got started and how you were really thrown into having to learn about demography in the first place. That's correct. I don't have a degree. Just let me tell you this too, just just only for to to authenticate uh, my process. Uh, uh, I, I found the State Department demographer. His name is Doctor Nicholas Eberstadt, and he's brilliant he's you know if you, if you google him he's forever nicholas eberstadt and he my wife was reading a story one day and she said that uh, you, you have to talk to this guy because he sounds like you and uh i called him and we talked for an hour and and now we're friends uh i, I went to washington dc and we compared notes we just compared notes and we are identical and what he said was he said, the, the only difference between you and me is you can express it and you can explain it to people and we can't. <laughs> so I take it he, he's a studied, well, well-read and uh, degreed demographer. And uh, yeah, okay, PhD, PhD yeah, Harvard. there you go. So you, you are the mouthpiece for all the demographers that, uh, <laughs> that are very much into the data, doing the analysis. Huh? Okay, awesome. Correct. Me, me, and Harry Dent, and Harry Dent, unfortunately, God bless him, has kind of lost his mind. He's, he's 180 degrees oh, long geez. all the time. Okay, well, so <laughs> with that being said, can you just give the audience a really good, like, quick understanding of what demography is? It's populations. It's live births, migration, and deaths. It's as simple as that. So once you understand live births which is and fertility, uh, migration, and that is immigrants coming and going, uh, and death. You understand demographics. Okay. It's it's you know one of the things that I, I you know when I speak and I speak about fifty sixty times a year. I tell my audiences ninety five percent of the business decisions made in the United States are made on what on money. I said money is a concept. Money is nothing more than an idea. Money has value because we all all pretend it does. We agree that it does. It's paper. It's electrons on a computer. Why would we want to be dealing with the symptoms when, when we can understand the cause? And the cause of money yeah. is people. I think that makes it clear. Um, yeah. So I don't want to miss the opportunity to ask, what do you enjoy most about it? Uh, accuracy and forecasting. I'm, I'm, I've my 2008 book, The Age Curve. I made about 100 forecasts, and I got 80 of them right so far. That's what I enjoy. I enjoy people thinking <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> oh, I love it though. But I mean, if you're accurate though in your <laughs> in your findings down the road, it, it does give you that sense of fulfillment, right? And and I think that's what I'd Correct. like to invite the audience to, to take part in here, um, just to have a better sense of 
what to be looking forward to in the future. And obviously, this is a constructor construction-based podcast um, for owners. Um, but I think we want to understand a little bit more clearly about the trends we should be expecting in the market as it relates to Gen Xers, Gen Yers, um, and then whoever is after that. I don't know what we're calling that. Uh, Just to give you a quick rundown. Uh, the, the generations that we deal with are the GI generation. They're born 1905 to 1924. These are the people that are currently uh, 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 93 okay. to dead. <laughs> and uh, then we have uh, uh, the silent generation that was born 1925 to 1944. It was a tiny, tiny generation because there was very few babies born during the Great Depression and very few babies born during the war because the men weren't here. So, and, and those are the people that are, are current elderly. Those are the people that are uh, 73 to 92. Then, then you have the baby boomers, which is a monster generation that refuses to die. Uh, and in fact, they've really, really screwed up the death care industry. Uh, they're uh, currently uh, 53 to, to uh, 72. Then you have Generation X, which is we described with that are causing all the problems. And they're 65, 1965 to 1984, and they are 33 to 52. Uh, the the generation behind them is a very, very interesting. It's Gen Y, the millennials, are currently 13 to 32 years old. It's the largest generation in the history of our nation. There's 86 million of them. They're almost two birth years bigger than the baby boomers. So what we have is essentially is a barbell demography and a barbell economy which means we have a large group of people that are uh, 13 to 32, and we have a monster group of people that are 53 to 72. And and so what are they going to need? What kind of construction products will they need? Well, we know at one end, with the baby boomers, we're going to need uh, health care, elder care, and death care. We're, we're, we're going to need those things to be built because the, the current, uh, the established footprint for that generation is for the smallest generation of the last 100 years. And those are the people that were born 1925 to 1944, the silent generation. And the the generation that's about to fill in that, that elderly part of our population is the largest generation ever to retire. So it's, it's it, I speak in Florida all the time, and I, and I freak them out because I, I tell them, I say, you guys are nuts. You don't have enough roads down here. You don't have enough roads. You don't have enough houses. You don't have enough storefronts. You don't have enough anything. I said, on top of that, you know, everything elderly is going to overwhelm you, and then you're going to have to support the people who support the elderly. So you're going to have to have low-income housing. Where is it? I don't see it. Where are people going to live in tents? So it's the, the construction. Yeah, the, no, the construction industry is, is going to – uh, go ballistic. It's it, it simply, and let's go to the other end of the population. Let's go to the 13 to 32 year olds. They're just now leaving home. Finally, finally, they're, they're late to leave home, uh, moving out of their parents' houses. And it's not their fault because their parents didn't leave the labor force. Their parents held on because they didn't have enough money to retire. But now things are kind of working out. There's actually, you know, if you go to savings accounts, you know how much money is in savings accounts now? It's $9 trillion. In, in the 2009, I think we had a trillion. So people people have money. We have There's plenty of money in, in the United States. And the United States, the economy of the United States is going to spike and not look back for at least in my lifetime. So it's, it's things are very, very good. So if anybody's thinking about 
capitalizing, investing, hiring people, taking chances, do it. Because there's nothing. It, it could, the stars could not be aligned better. Go back to this, the group of kids that are mm-hmm. 13 to 32. There's, there's 155 million housing units in the United States. 155 million. Uh, there are 330 million people in the United States when you count the illegals, okay. and I do. The the uh, uh, the two largest parts of our population, the the baby boomers at 80 million and their kids at 86 million, are living together. One is moving out, unless they're going to sleep on the ground. We have to build 25 million new houses, and when 25 million new houses get built, everything else gets built because it has to. There's all kinds of, you know, you have to uh, support them with everything with services with other kinds of buildings with hospitals you name it uh so construction i couldn't think of a better industry yeah. to be in well even in, in investment into healthcare facilities um just looking at where the baby boomers are gonna well uh, we don't want to call it healthcare, you know nursing homes but assisted living communities right because baby boomers don't want to move into the typical uh so so tell us no, a little won't. bit more about they, what the baby boomers like what is their lifestyle what what do they want to move into where do they want to go well the most important part of their lifestyle is they're not going to die they're not going to die like their parents die they're not going to die at three score and ten they're not going to die at 70 70 is the new 50 so right now the baby boomers this monster cluster of people is 53 to 72 when are they going to die the way healthcare is going, they're probably going to die bouncing off a 90. So you have 20 years of satisfying the baby boomers. I mean, and more than even more than that. So uh, what are they going to over 55 communities? Have you seen some yeah. of the over 55 communities? They, they have, yeah, they're, they're, they're outrageous. They, they, they replicate cities. They, the, the, the boomers, uh, you know, drive these golf carts that they've hot routed to make them look like 57 Chevys. Uh, it, it, it's, it is, it's a new ball game. It's a whole new ball game. They are not their parents. They're, they're so not their parents that they're going to, they're going to dress differently. You can, you're going to have a uh, 90 year old guys doing air guitar to Led <laughs> Zeppelin. And I, it's, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a, so uh, understanding them. What, what I tell folks is, you know, um, Lee Iacocca, Lee Iacocca, nineteen sixty, is down on Woodward Avenue in uh, Chicago, not Chicago, but Detroit, <clears throat> and he's looking at the cars the kids are building for themselves, which are lightweight, two-door cars that are powerful and fun to drive, and he's looking at the cars Detroit is building, and he's saying, Detroit is building six thousand square foot uh, uh, lead sleds that that kids will never buy. He said, we need to build a new car. He knew the baby boomers were coming. So they, they built the Mustang, and they, he, he would have been a hero <clears throat> if uh, from 1964 and a half to the end of model year 65, he sold 100,000 units. He sold 700,000 units. And you know how many he could have sold? He could have sold five times that. <clears throat> it just it, it, it didn't anticipate the power of the boomers. Well, that's exactly what's headed towards the, yeah. the construction industry is the baby boomers are going to demand new structures. So – yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just thinking about those uh, those communities. Right. There's there's got to be golf. I'm just thinking you they, they got the golf carts already. They're hot rotting them. There's there's got to be retail. Plenty of that um, because yeah. they have they have <clears throat> money to spend. Right. They have 
I, I, I just spoke to <clears throat> assisted living in uh, Palm Beach. And it, assisted living facilities cost $2 million to get in. You want you want to join? $2 million bucks, And then it's $10,000 a month. Yeah, well, that's Palm Beach, too, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what, that's, what, that's what the heck is that? <laughs> <clears throat> so as far as uh, where where are these where are these baby boomers going? Are are they going to Florida still, or are they everywhere at yep. this point? Just because you know they're a little bit more broad minded than say the previous generation. Well, I just I just spoke with Ben Carson. And uh, I spoke with him. We shared a platform. He spoke right after me. We both keynoted a uh, a convention in uh, Florida. That was the, yep. the the high end one. And um, he he explained what what uh, what HUD is up to. And he said HUD is trying to get boomers to retire in place. And so th- they'll pay for your stair glides. They'll pay for all the things necessary to keep you in place. It's not going to happen. What will happen is boomers might not give up their homes in the Northeast. They might come back in the summertime, but everything from Virginia down to Florida, over to Texas, through Arizona, uh, up California, is going to blossom in terms of uh, boomer population. The, the static populations are going to be in the Northeast and in the Midwest, but they're still going to be healthy but they're going to be essentially yeah. static. The big increases are going to yeah. be where it's warm. Totally makes sense. Um, okay. Yeah. So so that's healthcare, assisted living, um, and that's in relation to, to baby boomers. Is there anything else that we should be looking for to accommodate the baby boomers and what they're, what they're looking at? Well, three things. Yep. Healthcare is one. Uh, Assisted living, of course, is, is uh, you know, elder care is the other. But finally, the the one that uh, is totally asleep, and, and this unfortunately will change, and I hope it doesn't go to like a Walmart, and that is death care. Uh, we don't have enough places to bury the boomers. We don't have enough crematoriums. We don't have enough uh, uh, funeral homes. And so I think the concept will change. Somehow we're going to do death differently. Mm. It is. It is really quite a bit. Um, But it's something to consider. Uh, Yeah. Maybe burial at sea. Well, I mean. (laughs) I don't know. And and that's not so outlandish. The, the, um, you know, you have to understand right now, the number of people that are dying are about 2 million people a year. And what will happen when the baby boomer, uh, baby boomers hit, that will double to 4 million people per year. And, and for some strange reason, in the 90s, all of the uh, death care industry decided to upgrade and invest just in time for the number of people to die to go down. And so you have a lot of people that went out of business. And so that's why we have no footprint now. So it's the, the death care industry is wide Very interesting. open. Okay. Well, if anybody's looking yeah. for a transition and <laughs> wanting to start investing in uh, <laughs> funeral homes and, and things of yeah. that uh, nature, um, definitely a, a broad open market there. All right. So so that's baby boomers. Um, let's talk a little bit about infrastructure for millennials. Well, less cars. They, uh, you know, I've, I have a, a two daughters, 22 and 25. And that they were someplace and needed a ride home. So I said, I'll, I'll come out and get you. And I said, Dad, you don't need 
need to do that. We'll just call an Uber. And they did. And they got a ride home in no time. And it didn't cost anything. It was, you know, it was ridiculously cheap. And uh, they said, you know, we, we all talked about it. And they said, well, why do we need cars? Why don't we, you know, you can call Uber. And, and then as soon as we have Ubers that don't need drivers, you know, isn't that going to be interesting? Uh, the uh, traffic jams on major highways are going to go away when cars drive themselves because they can drive at 80 miles an hour bumper to bumper. So we have some major changes ahead. To follow up on the brief discussion that Ken and I had about driverless cars, especially since I came across an article written by Andy Cohen at Gensler Architecture Firm. This article is entitled The Game Changer for Future Cities, Driverless Cars. So I've included the link where you can find the article in the show notes, but I did want to just note a couple items that Andy highlighted. Most experts agree that the automobile as we know it will be largely obsolete by 2030. In its place will be fleets of driverless cars that shuttle people safely and efficiently through our city streets. But it's the broader impacts of this technology that are a game changer for the future of our cities and the human experience. The opportunity is not only to create new places that accommodate driverless cars, but to reshape our existing cities and towns into a kind of amenity-rich, vibrant places that we all enjoy. So that's uh, that's one thing from the article. But I do, if you haven't found this out already, he goes on to say, and he goes on to say, Budweiser has successfully completed a 120-mile shipment with a driverless tractor trailer in Colorado. And retail giant Amazon is rumored to be working on self-driving delivery vehicles. Isn't that awesome? So if you didn't know about that already, I think that's freaking amazing. And then you can go ahead and check out, um, obviously, videos of driverless cars on YouTube and find out more. So moving on to another note that Andy has, the ripple effects of the driverless car will require architects and real estate professionals to completely reimagine how space gets allocated. The demand for parking will drop dramatically and its impacts will be enormous. America's parking footprint takes up land that's pretty much just about the same footprint as Delaware and Rhode Island combined. So check out the article. You can learn more about driverless cars and how it impacts the new and refurbished developments. So we have um, one thing's happening with with this new crop of kids that are 13 to 32 is Amazon. And so does that mean that we're going to erase retail stores? Well, yeah. In a lot of ways, I mean, will they still exist? Of course they will, but they're not going, you know, we're not going to have great big malls anymore because we just don't need them. These, these uh, uh, kids are very used to just, you know, going on their computer and, you know, if they see something they like, literally, my, my daughter told me the other day, she, we, we were driving someplace and uh, she saw some, somebody had something that she really liked, a pair of shoes or something. And she said, dad, look at those. And I said, yeah, those are great. And we got to our destination and and I said, are you going to get those shoes? And she said, I already yep. did. She she ordered them on her phone. Yeah. So I I said so that's that will change everything. The increase of distribution centers. Um, we're looking at we know yeah. Amazon um, just what acquired Whole Foods is it? 
So grocery shopping is going to change quite a bit. Um, so yeah. I, I think that's something to really consider. <laughs> you're, you're not going to, like you said, you're not going to have those, those stores. Well, it's very interesting to see. Um, retail somehow is still holding on when I look at the, how much work is taking place for construction companies right now, general contracting firms. They're definitely holding on, but that's today. So as we transition into Gen Wires or millennials um, going ahead and pretty much shutting off that buyer's experience, it's going to really change. I mean, we're looking at, I mean, obviously I'm a millennial. We're looking at either user reviews, um, you know, looking at Yelp, looking at reviews of like everything you can possibly find about a product before it is, before you buy it. Um, So, I mean, that's how you determine what you're going to get. You don't actually have to see or feel or touch or like even experience somebody telling you more information about it. You get all the information you need online. Correct. It's, it's where it's a whole new ball game and it's happening right in front of us. I, one of my major sectors is, um, food. So, and I'm speaking, I'm addressing to two supermarket chains in the next, uh, six, eight weeks. And they're scared to death. They're scared to death about Amazon and whole foods. But I explained to them that the, the, the food experience, uh, I really don't think people are going to simply back away from going into a store where they can see and experience and smell and touch the uh, the food. I, I really don't think that's going to happen. And the, the the here's here's an irony for you. I was talking to a supermarket chain, and they said they've done studies on shopping lists, and they said you will never see a kiwi on a shopping list. <laughs> never. There's no it doesn't this doesn't ever appear. But they sell tons of kiwis. And why is that? Is it because it's a, it's an impulse item where people pick it up? So people are not going to all of a sudden go to, you know, boring food because it's available on Amazon. It's just not going to happen that way. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think of it. I mean, there there are so many things that are yeah. positioned so that you can impulse buy. Um, you know, there's whole, whole studies yeah. on the psychological approach for that. Yeah, I I, I I like that perspective that that won't go away. Um, People do. I mean, this is the thing. Millennials even will pay for those experiences if they know their friends will come with them. <laughs> if they if they know that they're yeah. going to really really enjoy the experience, but they have to know that before going in. Yeah. Correct. It's 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 your uh, your generation's a strange <laughs> bunch. But then we were too. Well, when you think about it, you know. Uh, you know, my generation yeah. were the hippies. You know, I was never, I was never personally a hippie, but, but what is, what is odd culture that was? It went away. But your, your generation is, is a generation of friends. My daughter doesn't do anything unless she's with about eight people. <laughs> it's a matter of what that is. I used to like to be alone. All right. So, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, Infrastructure specifically for for gen wires and so so living facilities. Um, we talked about low income housing. Um, we 
should probably touch on education a little bit as well. Um, how do you think these will play out? Well, a couple of things just sure. to back up a second. I think that uh, uh, Gen Y millennials are going to build uh, max 2,000 square foot houses. I don't think they're going to ever build the 6,000 square foot starter castles that their parents are rattling around in now. And the um, as far as other structures, um, I was I recently spoke in Virginia and I was walking around in Virginia marveling at how many uh, apartment buildings they're building. And they said they cannot, you know, and I had an opportunity to talk to the people uh, that were uh, nearby and they said they can't build them fast enough and they're outrageously expensive. We physically don't have enough space for the, the Gen Y to live. So apartments are going to be a real solution and then eventually housing. Uh, the the uh, Relative to other structures, don't know yet. Just really don't know yet. I, I think we're going to see. But education... Um, the, 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 the movement in education is, is in terms of colleges as small colleges are, mm. are shrinking, uh, going away, uh, p- colleges with big endowments are going to, are, will be fine, but, uh, it's a massive open online courses. Everything's oh, education is going to, you're going to be able to do that in, in the privacy of your home and get a, and get a PhD. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, I definitely see that trending for sure. Going, I mean, if they don't offer if they don't yeah. offer an online course, why why go to that school at that point? Um, yeah. Right. My daughter's in nursing school, and for the for her first couple of years, she uh, went to school from home. Now she's actually doing clinical, so she she physically has to be there, but uh, yeah. it's very different. Mm. It's just kind of blowing my mind a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, I want you to relax. <laughs> Listen, it, the, the the bottom line on all this, the United States couldn't be really in a better position demographically. You know, the nation, the other nations of the world, like all of the EU, Eastern Europe, Russia, especially Russia's demography is is a total crash and burn, flaming disaster. Which is why. Uh, Vladimir Putin is trying to annex 50 million healthy Ukrainians. And uh, because that's the only way he's going to save Russia. He's got an old, sick yeah. population, old and sick. And and so he's not, he doesn't have enough taxpayers. Uh, China has had a, uh, a one-child-only policy for uh, about 37 years, which means they have, a, they have a hole in their population that's 37 years long. You can't recover from that. You, you can't do a market economy yeah. if you don't have consumers. You can't do a market economy if you don't have taxpayers. You can't have a market economy if you don't have labor. And what they did is they killed all those categories with their one-child-only policy. The United States is fine. We have a good population. Our immigrants are from uh, our, our Latinos. I don't think we can invent a better immigrant. <laughs> so we're fine. We really are. Oh, man. Okay, so, well, as it relates to investment, well, actually backing up. <clears throat> As it relates to, hmm, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question. I really want to talk about diversity, and I meant to, so we're at the 31-minute mark. I wanted to talk about diversity as it relates to real estate. Is there anything that we should be looking for in relation to design and construction? Yeah, Latinos. Latinos, Latinos, Latinos. I don't figure out what, what kind of houses Latinos like. The uh, The Latinos 
a healthy part of the Latinos that poured into the country by the millions to satisfy the demands that were not being met by the diminutive Generation X uh, in terms of of entry-level labor uh, are going back to Mexico. So if Trump builds a wall, he's actually going to trap them in. The, the, uh, The remaining millions of Latinos actually filled in exactly where we needed them, in the deficit of Generation X, right in, th- in between 30 and 50 years old, satisfy their needs. I, I, I don't particularly know what their needs are. I, I've never studied that. But they are going to need structure, housing, uh, infrastructure, um, and they're here to stay. And according to Pew Research, they're advancing very nicely. Okay, We're gonna be sounds fine. good. And we, we have another issue. We have an issue with African-Americans Unfortunately, that has not been solved, and no one will even talk about it. Um, we have we have two million people in jail. We have a million African American men in jail, and um, it's essentially ten percent of the crime committing age that's in jail of African Americans. Very very high. And once they've been in jail, once they have a felony on their records, they can't find work. So we have that. There's a whole crop of people in the United States. In the prime working years of uh, 25 to 54, about 7 million that are not working and not looking for work at all, just essentially watching television. And uh, uh, the, the the data shows that, that the lion's share of that is African-American. It's not good. We need to fix that problem. That is a symptom of something else that is not being addressed or even yeah, talked about. As you're talking, I just have a sink in my stomach and I'm just shaking my head. Um, it It's disheartening and it's something that uh, it's something to be addressed from so many different directions. Right. And, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you specifically yeah. about uh, diversity as it as it comes to accommodating for different populations, right? It's, it's something that we can't ignore. You take into account all of the population and this is a huge part of it. Um, so one thing that I'm seeking to do, and and I've been finding that there are other people in the construction industry who are, who are seeking to do something similar, um, is provide again, those shop classes in the school setting, Um, And maybe it's not that, right? Maybe it's not in high school. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's like via meetup or something that, again, is is appealing to actually engage in. What are they going to get out of it? That's always the question, right? Um, So it's maybe reintroducing Mm -hmm. um, the exposure to things that are more tangible um, when it comes to making career goals, right? Um, what am I skilled at? What can I actually go into that I enjoy? Um, how do I, how do I create a business out of this? Um, you know, lots of, (laughs) lots of that population is very enterprising. Um, and, and we know because they're in jail for selling a lot uh, there are a lot of them. (laughs) Um, so, so kind of, taking their their natural ability and and mapping on skills actual business building skills um I, that's something that i i personally have a a desire to help in um 
and I've done some mentorship in the past and, and I'm looking to, to do that maybe on a broader scale. If anybody's interested in that, go ahead and send me an email, Brittany at constructor.com. Um, really interested in, in finding out how to help that community. Is there anything that you would recommend to the listener, um, to that property owner who, who might be leasing, thinking about what they should be doing? Is there anything that you would recommend to them right now? What should they be doing? Well, one of the things that that and everyone is vexed with right now is uh, training, and so you have. I, I just want to encourage your people, your industry, that you have a monster generation of potential workers headed your way. Don't be discouraged by the fact that, that the uh, the one the leading edge is uh, still having difficulty adapting to the work environment you, you you're going to have young people who will be competing for jobs train them train them train them and then give them a golden uh, handcuff don't let them leave you and uh, you'll have plenty of labor to get the job I'm, I'm already kind of seeing that trend with some of my clients which is really interesting all right well I think that's that's wonderful advice with that, thanks once again, Ken, for joining and, and talking with us. No, my pleasure. You can find the show notes at constructor.com slash EP34. You can find out how to get in touch with Ken Gronbach at kgcdirect.com. He is a keynote speaker that travels all around the country. You can also view and purchase his most recent book, Upside, Profiting from the Profound Demographic Shifts Ahead that just released this past April. So please do check that out. Last but not least, do check out Anir Basu's interview at constructor.com slash EP32. We definitely coincided on, yes, we need to definitely invest in talent and development of the millennial generation. Um, we see growth in the healthcare. We see growth in uh, commercial offices. We see growth in hospitality. So there are definitely some alignments that can validate it in, in his, uh, his talk with us today. So I do want to give you guys a little bit of a sneak peek for the next episode, episode 35. Um, we'll be talking with Chris Wilson. He was imprisoned for 15 years and is now owner and founder of the Barclay Investment Corporation, a multi-service social enterprise and also contracting firm, general contracting firm in Baltimore, Maryland. Chris is hugely dedicated to helping ex-cons acquire skills, jobs, and even start their own companies through his social enterprise. So we'll be tackling the blackmail demographic discussion that we had today with Ken. All right, so if you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe at constructor.com to get email updates from me about upcoming podcasts. If you haven't subscribed at iTunes or Stitcher, uh, go ahead and also please leave a review to show your support and let me know you're enjoying the podcast. I look forward to talking with you guys next week.